The way to think differently is to act differently and get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Welcome to the Unlearn Podcast, where host Barry O'Reilly seeks to synthesize the superpowers of extraordinary individuals into actionable strategies you can use to think big, start small, and learn fast, and find your edge with excellence. Here's your host, Barry O'Reilly. Welcome to the Unlearn Podcast. On this show, I'm delighted to be joined by Alexandra Jameson and Bob Gower. Now, Alex is a best-selling author of five books. She's the co-creator and co-star of the Oscar-nominated documentary Super Size Me, a highly sought-after speaker, mentor, and guide for thousands on her mission to empower women to create epic lives. Bob is a New York-based consultant, writer, and speaker, a contributor to Inc. magazine, and author of Agile Business. They've come together to write a phenomenal book and create a system, which I personally have really got to practice, enjoy, and found highly practical, called Radical Alignment, how to have game-changing conversations to transform your business and life. Now, we're in a time where we've polar opposites of opinion, poor data, gaps in understanding, emotions are running high, and yet we're struggling to have meaningful conversations. And what I found from using Alex's and Bob's system is that it made that happen. It brought people together to have difficult conversations in a productive manner, and they're going to share how they, first of all, discovered this system themselves and what they had to unlearn and relearn and change along the way. Back in our first three years of our relationship, we decided to teach a few couples workshops and they were very small, very intimate. And we realized really quickly that it was generally, (laughs) I'm totally going to gender this, but it was generally the woman like dragging her male partner to the workshop. And I think people got a lot out of the workshop, but what we found was, oh, like they're not coming here for the same reasons. They're not aligned in why they're showing up. One person wants to be here more than the other. So there was like miscommunication and misaligned energies coming into the room. And luckily Bob had this tool that he had developed. He learned part of it from somewhere else and then added to it, changed it. And we would teach this specific conversation tool to get people into alignment. Like, let's uncover all the emotional landmines so that we can get to the work and be really productive. And we noticed that over the ensuing years, like people that we had taught kept reaching back to us. What was that four-step conversation? Because I really need to use that again at work. Or people, friends would text us. What was that four-step thing again? Because I need to talk to my boyfriend. And eventually we realized people keep asking us for this thing. So we put it in a Google Doc just so we could send it to people and stop explaining it over and over again. And then I taught it to a friend who has her own platform and she's the one who really ran with it, took it to her family and said, you have to write this. This has saved my marriage and has changed my family life. It had also become foundational to us through the whole thing too. Like we'd used it when we were moving, we'd used it on vacation, we'd used it talking about childcare. We used, we'd like, it just became one of these like core tools and it slowly dawned on us that we had something that might be valuable to write about and share. And so as we were looking for, well, I don't know if we were looking for something, we were each looking for our own next project. Mm-hmm. Alex had written four books, I'd written one. We were both itching to do something. We're like, well, let's try something together, which was a little scary. (laughs) I imagine, right? What I really like about what you're sharing here is that there's signals there 
that people are sort of trying to pull this from you in some respects and to the fact that you actually automated it. You created Google Docs so you could just like send it to people to meet the demand you're having. I think that there's such a subtlety there that people sometimes miss these things, like how to turn them into something that they can help more people scale their impact. I think what's unique, obviously, is I've had the chance to actually go through one of your workshops that you sort of did for a lot of your friends just at the beginning of the COVID crisis. And I thought the framing of it was really helpful for like, you know, people being at home, a really tough transition, lots of uncertainty happening, lots of pressure happening. It was really illuminating to me to sort of experience like this system that you had sort of talked a bunch of people on a Zoom call together who never met each other, no idea who the hell anybody else was. There's like a classic early one of those Zoomy moments, I suppose, where <laughs> you were just sort of talking people through your experience of this and how you discovered it and how you're helping other people with it. So what have been some of the things maybe, you know, maybe if you could share a little bit, first of all, like just what the system is, and then maybe we can talk a little bit more about how you sort of coalesced it into a system that it is today. Well, if I can just throw out the four simple steps that this is, and then maybe we can flush it out more. Yeah, sure. But as a couple, or even as an individual, or as a team, you share your intentions, concerns, boundaries, and dreams. You go through those four things. There's a lot more around it, but that's the heart. That's the tool that we teach. And you usually constrain it to a topic. So in the case of the thing you attended, it was like, okay, we're in quarantine now. And we have to practice social distancing. We have to practice, you know, staying at home. So what are our intentions? And, you know, our intentions were to stay safe, to keep ourselves safe, keep our community safe. Concerns were we're going to get sick and we're going to get sick of each other. Like, <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Right. And then boundaries are like, well, we're going to wear masks when we go out. Actually, well, that was even pre-mask. Like, that was even mm -hmm. before masks were a thing when, when we did that one. Like we're going to not go out. We're going to stay safe. We're going to practice social distancing and we're not going to talk to each other during the day or something. Yeah, <laughs> like, I, I, like I'm going to, I'm gonna, boundaries are like self-care. Like I'm going to go up on the roof and work out. I'm going to put on headphones and zone out to a TV show to be by myself for a while. And yeah. Yeah. All the, and like, if you have headphones on, that means don't disturb don't me. me. Yeah. Like it means I'm in a locked room alone, like headphones signal, you know, in a small New York apartment, right? Like we get <laughs> Well, that was the thing that really stood out for me. Like it just felt instantly practical and applicable. I didn't have to sort of go away and like spend hours dreaming about what am I going to do next? I felt like it was very explicit about what things mattered, what was I going to do, and I could act on it straight away. It's not often you get that, especially in a situation where at the start of this COVID crisis, especially you two being in New York, of all places, like an epicenter in the US at the time, where it was extremely uncertain what was going to happen. And yet, I felt like both myself and I felt many people who were there sort of felt like they left with something that was going to be useful for them straight away. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we always talk about this idea. Actually, I can't remember who I learned it from, but I learned it years ago, I think maybe in grad school. But this idea that the conflict often develops because there's a missing conversation maybe like Fernando Flores or something anyway, but like there's this idea that like sometimes the missing conversation is I quit, you're fired, we're breaking up, right? But more often than not, the missing conversation is just some key little piece of context that you don't have about that really explains the person's behavior. We actually kick off the book with a story about we live on the third floor of a brownstone and we like smelled cigarette smoke coming in through our window one day and we got really pissed off at the young, irresponsible first floor neighbors. And then we realized like, 
we ran into our second floor neighbor who was like a friend who we like barbecue with and our kids play together. We ran into him. He's like, oh man, I was so sorry. I realized your window was open when I was smoking on my fire escape the other day. And we were like, oh, well, if it's you, it's fine. You know, (laughs) (laughs) because we have context with him. And these first floor neighbors were brand new. They were young and they'd already annoyed us because of their bikes and stuff. And like, we just were, so the misunderstanding or the emotional angst came from missing context, missing conversation. And this is for me, the most valuable thing about this structured conversation is that it gives me a way to organize my emotions and my thoughts and my desires. And that's a very unusual way for humans to communicate. We don't do it in an organized fashion, or at least I didn't grow up (laughs) like that. Important or emotional conversations or high stakes conversations were volatile and somebody was going to get hurt. Somebody was going to yell. And I just didn't engage. So this structure has brought so much peace and ease to my communication. I think that's a really important point, right? Definitely on what I've discovered on this show too, as well, is some things are intuitive to people. It comes naturally to them. They might not even be aware of it, but they can, those situations, as you described, it just comes naturally to them. And I think for many, if not the majority other, it doesn't. And I think you find yourself just responding in situ. And obviously when you're uncertain or you feel upset or angry, like I'm guilty of this all my time, I jump around. But I think when you have an approach that you know is going to cover the different aspects of a conversation you want to have, and it gives you time to think about what you want to say in any sort of part of that conversation, and you can see how the pieces join up together to see is it coherent and what's missing and I think really what this comes down to is like, what do you really want to say? What's going to be you showing up in a way that describes what your intentions are and what actions you're going to take and what you won't stand for? And I think that's what sort of was really interesting for me as you were guiding people through this sort of approach. So maybe you could just elaborate a little bit more on like, how did you even come up with knowing that those were the sort of four steps that you think you wanted to frame? I'm sure it wasn't there on day one. So what was certainly some of your journey, the things you had to learn and unlearn along the way as you were sort of formulating this? So I'd been a coach years ago and I had a client for a very brief time who was actually a dating coach for kind of middle-aged people, people trying to find love kind of later in life or in midlife. And she had basically a similar four steps, but there was a couple of variations. There wasn't quite, I can't remember what it was. There was like expectations were in there, but she definitely had intention. But it was sort of like what two people would have going on a first date, just to kind of like, let's not waste time. What are your intentions? My intention is to find love, is your intention is to get laid. Okay, we maybe shouldn't keep going. And then later when we needed something to, we'd had kind of a misstep in one of these couples workshops and where I was just like, oh, well, let's try that conversation. And then we started tweaking some of the buckets and we were like, oh, this doesn't quite make sense. And I think The big addition, which we haven't really talked about today yet, is the dreams or desires is sort of the last step. And what we find with that one, and the reason we kind of settled on that was that everything else kind of has this potentially sort of negative or utilitarian connotation, right? What are your intentions? That's really useful because, all right, let's just talk about why we're here. I mean, that's really simple. We talk about vacations, right? I can go on vacation because I want adventure and you can go on vacation because you want to relax totally valid reasons to go on vacation, but very different and speak to a very different style of vacation. So let's surface that. 
concerns, as soon as we start talking about doing something, I think our amygdala just goes crazy as humans, like the negativity bias kicks in and we're like, okay, let's give that free reign. Let's just let the crazy out because letting the crazy out kind of heals it. Boundaries are really good for people to know. And it's not something that a lot of people are practiced in. So all three of those steps are very practical. But then we were like, but wait a minute, that's not very inspiring. That's not very exciting. That doesn't feel like, come on, like we're here because we want to have a great experience. So let's talk about what that is. Mm -hmm. And as I started using it in business, I've used this to launch numerous, numerous product teams and change processes at big companies or at small companies as well. But like getting people in that space, especially at the end of a sort of a trying process, I think it's almost like neurophysiological, right? It's like we get the amygdala going <laughs> and then we release a bunch of oxytocin because we're talking about our dreams. And then that kind of like binds us together as a group. And I think that's really, or again, we're not trying to like problem solve. We're just trying to like become more entrained, more bound together as people. And that's all the process is about. The process isn't about negotiation or problem solving or anything. There are other processes for that that I like, but this one is just about being together. But there's a very specific way that we frame the, comp we teach the four steps, but there's a lot of framing beforehand. There's no crosstalk. You're not talking over each other. You're not arguing points. You are listening to each other. And that's to develop something called tactical empathy that Chris Boss, who was a former FBI hostage negotiator, brought up in his book, Never Split the Difference, which is really, we both love so much. It's been so influential for us. But if you don't have tactical empathy is like understanding where somebody's coming from, understanding how they feel, what are their motivations. You don't have to agree with it or feel the same way, but you do need to understand where they're coming from. And I would say we live in a time where we're lacking a lot of empathy and desire to really understand <laughs> where people are coming from. We're very clear in that like these four steps work when you listen to each other, there's not the crosstalk and argumentative trying to win thing. You're just putting it all out there, each in turn, and being vulnerable, being very brave to really share yourself. And maybe Bob can talk about team psychological safety some more, because that's another theory we weave into it. Yeah, I'm sure you probably touched on that here on your show before. Yeah, like I, what's jumping out to me listening to you share here about how you've sort of worked through this is like the listening part is really interesting, right? Because especially in societies we have at the moment, I think listening is just like lacking massively, right? You just have polarization. You have people trying to win. If there is even an argument, there's definitely not a debate happening. So I think it, there is this just my information, your information, but no one's actually doing or listening or using it in any sort of way. And there is no safety. So I think that's a really interesting point here, right? Is I think when people show up, really bring the best of themselves and put that in front of other people. I think a notion that ties to a lot of Amy Evanson's work on psychological safety and so forth is key here, right? And that manifests in your home, in your team, in your company, in your day-to-day -day life, on the news, on the radio. Like I think people see this everywhere, but they don't know how to start these conversations. I think top of mind, obviously, at the moment, we've seen more movements like really bear fruit as a result of not only COVID, right? We've seen great Black Lives Matter movement make more progress in the last few weeks than years that have ever been made. And I think people want to have some difficult conversations, but I don't think people actually have 
many or if any tools to do it. And, and I think that's what's kind of curious to me here is that, that people need, to our other point, they, they might want to have the conversation, but they don't know how to have the conversation. And they're high stakes. You're going to make mistakes, and especially in racial issues. We're all white people on this podcast, right? Like, how do you start to broach conversations to recognize white privilege or things that are, again, just baked into us that we're not even aware of that support, propagate more racism in society. So I think there's lots of sort of interesting applications here. Yeah. If people are willing to show up and put themselves out there. And I think that's what's kind of exciting for me is to hear how you kept like layering this stuff on. You're not your atypical management consultants here. You know, I'm sure you just didn't walk in and draw two by two and say, how do we fill up this box and uh, make sure it's meaningful, <laughs> right? So I'm kind of curious on that journey. Like, how did you find these, like you mentioned dreams when you, as this bit that was missing, as you sort of realized it was almost like too mechanically diagnostic of just the issue in front of us. And you needed something to stretch and think about, well, what's, well, actually, where are we actually really trying to go? What were some of the other tensions that you maybe started to realize about, like you've talked about the support structures around of setting expectations of rules of engagement and to a certain extent to how to have this conversation. That's another one that popped out at you. What, what else were some of the characteristics that popped out as you were going along? We both have dabbled in the 12-step world. And one of the important boundaries that we have in our relationship, and we talk about it in the book for also how to do this in business settings. There's an acronym HALT, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Don't talk about anything important when either of you are hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. And we changed that, adopted it to be, aha, (laughs) A-H-A, angry, hungry, or alcohol. If the emotions are really hot, take a break. If people haven't eaten, take a break and eat. And don't have even one glass of alcohol before or during having a conversation that's really important. We go into the science of all those things, but we've noticed that those rules have been a game changer in our relationship. Even in the last six months, we've started to get into something heavy and we're like, wait a minute, let's eat dinner first and then we'll talk about this. So that that 12-step work has definitely woven itself (laughs) in. So I'm curious now is like you're obviously sharing this with more and more people, right? Like what are they feeding back in as you're practicing this with more, like these evolutions in yourselves are fantastic, but what are you seeing like layer on now as people use things in a way that you couldn't anticipate or intend or what have been some of the other surprises you started to notice? Well, I've had two friends actually come up to me recently and tell me how valuable this was. Actually, we tell one of the stories in the book, so it wasn't, well, I guess it wasn't that recently that, that, that he came up, but people blending families together and getting married. Like we used it for our wedding, actually. So we're like, okay, we, that's a use case we're familiar with. Like that works. But in one case, it was an Indian woman marrying a white man and like getting married both here as well as in India. And then as well as in, like in the UK, like it was like, and then multiple costume a changes, a year of weddings, right? Yeah. And in the other case, it was, a guy who's Orthodox and his in-laws are also Orthodox. And it was a second marriage for his wife, first marriage for him. The in-laws in the Orthodox community, the wedding is more about the family than it is about the couple in a way, right? And the couple was just like, we just want to be married and start our lives. And the family was like, no, 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 we have to throw a party. We have to do that. 
We have to feed everyone from around the world. Right. We have to invite all these people. And my friend, like, I think he was at first very impatient with his family about this. And then he, but he's like, as he sat and listened to them, he's like, oh no, I see how this is about you too. I see how this is important. And go ahead and spend some money. You know, like you can do that. And it created this space of, I mean, I think that the big realization for me in all of this, whether it's teamwork or a relationship, is that it's so much more about the emotions than the intellect. Modern neuroscience is telling us this, right, that emotions are extremely important when it comes to cognition, when it comes to reason, right? You know, like reason and emotion aren't separate. They're actually intimately intertwined in this very interesting way. And I think so often when teams, you've probably seen this in your work, but like when teams fall apart, it's not because people are dumb or because people lack skill. Teams fall apart because people can't get along, because people don't understand each other. And I think in the age, you mentioned racial issues in this age of companies who are trying to embrace diversity, and they're trying to do it, I think, in some interesting but potentially misguided ways of just like only looking at like unconscious bias or only looking, but rather like let's look at sort of the landscape that we're creating and let's listen to each other and let's learn to take each other's perspective. And I think to me, like that's been the big lesson of the last few years is how much I need to actually listen and to take on somebody else's perspective before I have an opinion about it, if I ever even have an opinion about it. But just how valuable it is just to sit and listen and be able to be like, oh, well, you think that and I think this and, but we can still do stuff together. Like we're not perfectly aligned, but we're still here together. And then over time, I'm like, oh, wait a minute. Now I see it enriches me in this way rather than trying to make the world all like me, I guess. I don't know. I have a great story from a client who has a professional hair and makeup service for weddings. That's most of her work. She has a beautiful studio in her home and weddings are stressful. And a lot of brides have absorbed this bridezilla idea and their families have too. Like people just let their emotions run rampant and people get stressed out. And we created a code of conduct for her brides. And as they decided to work together, she's like, we're going to create an atmosphere of mutual respect and grace so that even in my chair while I'm doing your hair and makeup, you're like setting the tone for your day, which is setting the tone for the rest of your life. And it was all based on going over intentions, concerns, boundaries, and dreams with the bride. I was going to say, that's like intentions and boundaries kind of tied up together. Like my intention is that you're going to have a great day. And you're going to be nice to me. And, and my yeah. boundary is <laughs> you're going to be nice to me. Yes, <laughs> basically. They loved that kind of intention set for them. They hadn't thought of it. And people she was working with were just behaving a lot better. I think this is what really jumps out of all these stories. It's hard for people to know how helpful this stuff is until you actually put it in front of them and give them a chance to sort of use it, right? Like both of these stories are great examples of that. What I'm constantly reminded of, it probably melts a bit of both of the flavors that you're sharing here. Some of the smartest teams I've been on have actually been the most dysfunctional for like a variety of reasons because egos get in the way or people actually want to show how smart they are. They're so busy pushing information, they're not pulling any information, right? And it's toxic and has often massive repercussions. One of the sort of examples that definitely springs to mind is like working with people at NASA, where there's just like super bright people, but they can't collaborate with one another because they don't know even how to share information with one another. And they're so focused on their own discipline that they just go into tunnel vision mode. And 
one of the most powerful breakthroughs I think I saw with people there is like actually structuring conversations that they could share information with one another because like no one can build a rocket on their own. All the parts have to work together for the launch to happen. You might be the best engineer for jet propulsion in the world, but if your jet doesn't work with the navigation system, like it leads in catastrophe and NASA obviously experienced a lot of that. And the huge benefit that they actually started to realize is that when you find a way that you can put all this collective knowledge together, where you can actually see like this pool of real working knowledge that's valuable that people can use and leverage, it actually inspires better decisions and better collaboration because people want to input their knowledge to that because they're inspired by other people's perspective, things that they had never thought of. They reconstitute ideas and build something better. So a lot of what you're sharing here whether there are stories like that or stories that you shared at an individual level, like that's what I always really enjoy is that where there's patterns that you can scale up and down, depending on whether it's you individually and how you want to have a conversation with someone, whether it's someone, it's a pair, whether it's a team, whether it's a company, like I think there's a huge amount that we have to get better at to share information with each other, to understand. And then I think that's where maybe the ability to make your intellect might have a bit to play. But I think if you can't get the information out and share it and calibrate it in the first instance, it doesn't matter if you're smart and you're making a good decision on bad data, you're still going to get a bad result. And I think that's the bit that sort of jumps out as I'm hearing you both share your stories here. Yeah, it actually reminds me of one of my favorite two-by-two matrices that I draw, because I do have them, because I'm a consultant, and I think by law, you're required to have the two-by-two, several of them. Minimum four to five, I believe. Yeah, correct. Yeah. But one of my favorites is based on a study on how trust develops or what kind of trust is, and it comes from some Harvard researchers. But essentially, the idea is that trust is making two assessments that are intimately related. One is, do you care? And specifically, do you care about me? Like, not do you care about anything, but do you care about me? And second is like, do you have the capability to deliver? And I think one of the big things, and I know that I'm just going to share, like the topic of your podcast is unlearn. And I think one of the things I've had to unlearn is sort of as someone who's been put in a leadership position a lot in my life and who wants people to trust me, that I frequently try to get people to trust me by trying to be smarter than everybody else, which is essentially demonstrating capability. I'm going to show you how smart I am. What the study said was what's happening on an unconscious level is actually people are making the care assessment first because trusting somebody who doesn't care but has a lot of power is an existential problem often, right? But trusting somebody who cares isn't very capable is like, well, it's your cousin who you still hang out with, right? It's not that big of a deal. And what I realized is, is when someone assesses that you are powerful but don't care, they're afraid of you. And so like kind of what you're describing at NASA are these like really smart engineers. I've worked with like so many really smart engineers and like everybody's trying to prove how right they are. And like everybody's like causing these cortisol reactions in each other. Everybody's like getting kind of amped up and amped up and amped up and talking over each other. And then the person who really has the answer is off in the corner being quiet, kind of waiting for everybody else to shut up, which they never do. And so then you end up just wasting all of this time. And I really like the idea of trust being a kind of lubricant or a kind of, it just sort of helps everything flow so much better, but it has to be consciously created, especially when you have people who have wildly different backgrounds who are coming together. Like it's, we just don't know. We have such different perspectives on the world that we just need to almost like consciously have a structure, the structure conversation to create it. Yeah, that's awesome. So looking forward now, what are you sort of excited about? You know, your book is about to go live into the world. What kind of things are sort of exciting you about 
maybe the dreams to a certain extent to use your, <laughs> your own system. What are your dreams for this? The thing that really touches my heart is the moms who are entrepreneurs who are finding this tool so useful in their lives. It's like, oh, finally people are, it's like I'm having to manage less because people are finally talking to each other and developing not just a top-down kind of dictatorial parenting relationship. Talk about unlearn. Like that is definitely one of the things that we've discovered through using this conversation so much. Our son is 13 now. And just a couple of weeks ago, he said it over dinner. He's like, I'm so glad I'm being raised learning to care about other people's feelings. And I was like, me too. <laughs> I am so glad you care about other people's feelings. And to be able to have real conversations and connection with my kid, of course, anything could happen in high school. Who knows what yeah. he'll become <laughs> in the next yeah, yeah. three years, <laughs> if he'll even be speaking to me anymore. But the possibility is there. And I see other families and I'm like, oh, that looks hard. <laughs> we have it really good. We have it so easy. Like we are able to connect with each other. That was not my experience growing up. So I'm very glad to have unlearned that mess. And I think you kind of undersold that story. You melted when I, you okay, said that. I cried. I cried. <laughs> she, cried. Like, she was like, it's the best thing that's ever happened. <laughs> it was oh, a parenting yeah. moment. Yeah, but I, like that authenticity comes across hearing you share that, right? You know, you don't have to add more to it. I think, I think it resonates <laughs> the way it is. I think that's great, right? Like feeding that forward to the next generation and giving people skills that maybe you recognize yourself weren't there I think that's super powerful. That's a gift. So I think like more people need to be doing it. That's awesome. I'm really excited, I think, right now. It seems weird and maybe even, I don't know, there's something about the moment that we're in with COVID, with all the social upheaval, with the way business is going right now, and those of us that are fortunate enough to continue to be working kind of through this crisis. But we're so much more involved in each other's lives. Like all of my meetings now involve like kids and dogs and everything in the background. And like, I know what artwork people have on their walls. And for years, I've really felt like, like people need to bring more of themselves to business. You know, like we want more engagement. We want all of the kind of buzzwords, but it really means like creating a space where for people to be human at work, where there's not this distinction. I'm a business person and I'm a human. It's like, we're more sort of integrated. And I feel like our tool kind of is having potentially anyway, it's having this moment, like people are actually gratefully receiving it kind of for that reason. And it feels like, I don't know, I have this dream that we're all lined up and I have dreams of bestsellerness and all of like the book. Obviously, yes, I would like to have a book that does very well. And there's also this thing, like this thing that seems so simple to me that has been so impactful in my life. And I seeing it so impactful in other people's lives it feels like I'm nurturing this little flame that is sort of potentially very, very valuable for the world and kind of getting it out there into the world. Yeah, nice. Well, it's always good to sort of give back as much as you can and help other people on their journey. So yeah, I'm delighted to have you both on the show. Thank you very much for sharing what you've been doing. I'm excited to see where it goes. Obviously, I've got a chance to experience it and can only encourage more people to do it. So again, thank you very much for sharing your stories with me today. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Barry. Cool.